0: Ephesians 5, if you are not there already, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning we do boast in Jesus Christ alone, our only hope In life and death, is in the cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. We recognize that and we rejoice in that, Lord. We rejoice in your love over us. We marvel, Lord, at your love. We know ourselves, our own hearts, how wicked and undeserving we are. Yet even as we sit here this morning, we marvel that even when we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. We marvel that you are just a judge because of your love became justifier. So Lord, even as we look at this passage, a passage that calls husbands to love their wives, may we see the high calling. The privilege of loving our wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Lord, do not let this be an hour that goes by without us understanding the deep call to love. Lord, as husbands, even as we turn our attention to this passage, we recognize, even now, before we even jump into the passage, how desperate we are for your strength to do the things that you've called us to. For your wisdom. For your spirit to fill us and to work in us, Lord. So even in this hour as you challenge us, may you also empower us. Equip us to go and to do the things that you've called us to do. Lord, we pray these things in faith. In Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of a situation that you you went into it thinking that you're fully prepared for this? Only to find out that you were incredibly... Unprepared to be caught completely off guard. It could be that you were intentionally misled. Or maybe your expectations were just too low to begin with. It could be something as, as simple as surprise fees that, that push your bill higher than you expected, or. It could be something like a responsibility, a school or work, something that you were not expecting when you took on the job. I can think of a specific time that I was completely caught off guard. I was in college, and a family friend asked if I could watch their house, house sit for them while they went on vacation. As a college student, of course, you know, they were going to pay me, this is free money. I'm basically getting paid just to sleep somewhere different. That's it. And so I, I show up, ready to do this job, and, and what I failed to realize is that house-sitting included dog-sitting. And this was a big dog. A big dog that shed everywhere. Something I was not used to. And so I, I showed up to do the job, and uh, it, was, it was a lot different than I thought it would be. This dog had to... It had to eat, it had to go out every so often, it had to go on walks, it had a, a strict schedule. This job was a lot more involved than I had initially thought. I thought I was simply going to sleep somewhere else and my schedule could stay exactly the same. And the reality was that I had to rearrange my whole schedule around the schedule of this dog. And my expectations of the ease of house sitting were far, far too low. But that's just a silly example. This morning we turn our attention to a passage in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. And I think that we'll see an area where we often set our expectations far too low. I know I did. As you step into marriage, you have no idea what lies ahead. The call to love your wife seems easy, and it is for me. My wife's great. It's easy to love her. <laughs> <laughs> But as we'll see in this passage, it's not just a call to love your wife. It's a call to love your wife in a very specific way. The expectation, the responsibility of a Christian husband to love his wife is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. In this passage, Paul is continuing to explore the Christian household. The Spirit-empowered roles that God has designed for husband and for wife. We already saw the role of a wife in submitting to her husband a few weeks ago. Today we're going to see the role of a husband in loving his wife. So this morning we'll see the call, the husband's call to love, and the husband's example in love. First thing we see in verse 25 is the husband's call to love. We're still in the context of being filled with the Spirit, going back to Ephesians uh, 5, um, 15, really, uh, down through even 21. This walking in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit, as we see in verse 18. But we're also still in the realm of this marriage relationship. So here, Paul takes the general expectations of Ephesians 5, 2, For all believers to walk together in love, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. But he takes that that call for all Christians to love each other. And he specifically applies it to husbands loving your wives. Not only does he, he take that call and apply it, he adds some oomph behind it. A punch to it. The reality is, if you are expected to love one another, how much more are you expected to love your wife? You would think it should go without saying, and yet Paul says it nonetheless. Husband, love your wife. It's a call specifically to love. Not just generally to to care for or to watch over, but husband, love your wife. It's actually kind of interesting. You'd almost expect Paul here to say, husbands, lead your wives. That that seems like that would be the natural thing for Paul to go, the natural direction, right? He's just said, wives, submit to your husbands. So as wives submit, husbands, you must lead. That's not what he says here. calls for husbands to love his wife. And it's not a one-time thing or a a once-a-day thing. This is a constant responsibility, a moment-by-moment at all times in all that you do, be loving your wife. In fact, it's important to note that Paul's instruction here to husbands There's there's an implication in Ephesians 5.23 Husbands, lead your wife. That is implied in the the idea that husband is head of the wife. And here, the call to to love, these are not two separate instructions. The call to headship headship and the call to love are not two separate things. Rather, these are one and the same. Husband, as head, you must love your wife. Your leadership as head must be defined and directed by love. The reality is that biblical headship is motivated by general by genuine love. To fail to lead your to lead as head is to fail to love. And at the same time to fail to love is to fail to lead. The two cannot be separated. Unless we be confused by what Paul means by his command to love, he gives us a powerful picture. He doesn't leave it at husbands' love. We all might have our own ideas of what love is or what it looks like. This is where it's really become kind of a gut punch here. Husbands, love your wife. In what way? How should I love my wife? What is expected of me in love? Sacrifice. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Just sit there and think about that for a second, husbands. Don't miss the significance of the fact that you are called to love your wife to the same extent and in the same way that Jesus showed his love for you. Let's pause and think about that for a second. Let's think about God's love for me. Let's think about Jesus' love for me. Even a passage like John 3.16 that we read earlier, quoted earlier together. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world that He gave. In fact, turn over to Ephesians 2, verses 4-5. to This great passage where where you He made alive, verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even though we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. These two well known and much beloved passages, and rightly so, but they express God's great love that moved him to send his son to die. These passages open our eyes to the reality that the cross was not simply an act of indifferent necessity in response to my sin. It's not just God responding, because he has to respond. Think of a teenager or someone working at over at Hy-Vee. A storm is coming and they're instructed, put bread on the shelf. Right? There's no passion in that duty. He just, he's doing it. He's, it's mindless. He puts bread on the shelf. It's what he does in response to what's coming. That's not the idea of God's love. God's love is not a mindless response It is not indifferent necessity. The cross is a passionate expression of God's great love for me. And yet as we see here in this passage, the cross is not only an expression of the Father's love. It's also an expression of the Son's great love. The Son who gives Himself willingly and sacrificially for the church that He loves It is this self-sacrificial love of the Son that Paul here focuses on. Not love out of necessity. A love by choice. Passionate expression. Elsewhere in Ephesians, Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 19. Jesus' love there is described as passing knowledge. It is unable to be fully understood. It does not run out. I love the hymn, The Love of God by Frederick Lehman. And he beautifully captures this idea here in the third verse of his hymn. Could we with ink the oceans fill? And were the skies of parchment made were every stalk on earth a quill and every man by, a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong It shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. What a picture of the the endless, the unknowable love of God for us. The unknowable love of Jesus Christ, even as Ephesians tells us about. Unless you further forget, Paul reminds us of all that Jesus sacrificed for you because he loved you. In Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself to the cross after already humbling himself to the manger. Jesus gave up his rights He emptied himself. He humbled himself and he humbled himself again and he sacrificed himself because he loves his bride, the church. He gave up everything. Love as modeled for us by God and taught in scripture is the purposeful pursuit of what is best for another even at extreme cost to myself. And brothers, this is where it gets difficult because this is the same measureless, self-sacrificing love that husbands are called to have toward their wives. This is not about feeling. It's about responsibility. You are responsible to love your wife regardless of how you may feel about her in any given moment. This is a love that looks past your feelings or your wants and looks to her needs. So, I think it's appropriate to pause here and simply ask, Husband, are you loving your wife? I don't mean, do you tell her that you love her? I mean, do your daily choices, do your priorities, do your actions show that you biblically, sacrificially love your wife? How can you love her better? This is a high calling, a responsibility to love your wife is not to be taken lightly. You must actively, constantly, sacrificially love your wife. So I think here in verse 25, we clearly see the high calling. Hopefully, the Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit, has your attention. And as we continue into verses 26 and 27, we see that not only is Christ's love your example in self-sacrifice, but it's also your pattern in relation to the goal of your love. Not just how to love, but, but why to love. This passage identifies Jesus' goal and his love for his church by three purposeful clauses that you'll see in the next verses. That he might sanctify her, verse 26 that he might present her to himself in splendor, verse 27a, and that he might enable her to be holy and blameless, verse 27b. In essence, what we're going to see in these verses is that Jesus gives all of himself, all for the church's good. His love is all for her good. that's what we see in verses 26 to 27, the husband's example in love. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Jesus Jesus loved the church by giving himself for the church so that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This verse might be a little bit confusing, so I want to I walk through the three main parts of this verse. Sanctify, cleanse, and the washing of water by the word. The first word we come to is the word sanctify, that he might sanctify her. Jesus died to sanctify the church. That word sanctify, it's a word that, that if you've been in church for a while, you're probably somewhat familiar with. It means to be set apart to God. In fact, theologians rightly often note that the Bible teaches three distinct stages of sanctification. You have positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and perfective sanctification, or glorification. Positional sanctification is the reality that at the moment that I place my faith in Christ alone for salvation, the moment that I am saved, at that moment I am righteous before God in Christ. It is a present spiritual reality. I am sanctified. And yet, at the same time, we look around and we recognize, well, I still struggle with sin. I still have a wicked heart. And that's the idea of progressive sanctification. Yes, I am presently spiritually righteous before God, and yet I am being changed. It's the idea of growing in godliness. I am being sanctified. The Lord is at work in me, molding me into His image. So positionally, my spiritual reality is that I am righteous before God, and yet on earth I am progressively being changed. And then finally, perfective. Perfective sanctification, another word that we often use is glorification. When the physical reality matches my spiritual reality. When I will be sanctified. So the reality is that all at the same time, I am sanctified, I am being sanctified, and I will be sanctified. Hopefully you can wrap your mind around that. The Bible teaches all three of these realities in terms of the individual Christian. And yet note here that the focus in this passage is on the church As a whole, not on individual saints. It's really a a unique passage, a remarkable passage, that teaches that the church itself is sanctified in Jesus' death. The church is sanctified in Jesus' death. And I submit to you this morning that the focus is not on the church growing in holiness throughout the ages, not on a progressive nature, but rather on the church's positional identity as set apart for Jesus. The idea here is that Jesus died for the church in order to set her apart to himself, to claim her as his own. She is mine. In fact, David Peterson, Bible scholar, notes this. Christ died to devote the church to himself in an exclusive And permanent relationship, analogous to marriage, she is his and he is hers. Christ has set the church apart. This is mine. Not only is the church set apart exclusively to Jesus, but there's another word there. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. This cleansing and the sanctification are, are tightly wound together. They happen at the same moment. She was cleansed so that she could be set apart. See, the church needed to be cleansed. Cleansing points to the removal of sin, it's a reference to, to regeneration. In order to set her apart to himself, Jesus had to address the church's need. A need to be cleansed from sin. It's actually it's a very intimate analogy here. It's an analogy to, to the bridal bath. It's a practice where the bride bathes before the wedding. She's anointed with oil. She's dressed in beautiful garments. Her hair is done beautifully. That allows her to be presented at the wedding at her best. That is the picture here. That is what Jesus has done for his church. He has cleansed her. He has set her apart as his own. And how has he done this? That's the last part of the verse. or the washing of water by the word. It's a reference to the gospel message. Jesus' birth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Really to Jesus Christ himself who is the word. Jesus died in order to cleanse the church. He met her great need and set her apart to himself. She did not do this to herself. He has done it. How? By giving himself for her. Now, I hope I, I hope I didn't lose you trying to unpack the, the beauty of Ephesians 5.26, but the big idea is simply this Jesus loved the church by dying for the church in order to provide all that the church needed. His self sacrificial love is not sacrifice for the sake of sacrifice. It is sacrifice for the sake of her bride. To give her all that she needs. Husbands, the message here is simple. You must be utterly committed to the total well-being of your wife. Physically, but especially And what really matters eternally, her spiritual well-being. What are you doing to encourage your wife in her spiritual walk? When was the last time you prayed together or read scripture together? He claimed her. He set her apart as his own and he provided for her. In fact, it is this idea of provision that for his bride that is carried over into the next two connected purposes of Jesus' self-sacrificial love. That he might, he has done this, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Over the past few years, I've had the privilege of officiating at, at many, many weddings. And uh, I can say that by far, My favorite moment of the wedding is the exact moment when it's over. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You guys thought I was going to say something really sweet there, didn't you? (laughs) No, but seriously, one of my favorite moments is the moment when the bride enters. The guests stand. The groom sees her for the first time in all her beauty prepared for him. And really, that's the picture of this passage. The church presented in all her glory. Beautiful and glorious, not by her own doing, but because of Jesus' love. Because of His sacrifice. The church thrives because of the love of her husband. This looks forward to Jesus' return. As the bridegroom comes for his bride, She is ready because he has made her ready. She is prepared because he has given her all that she needs. Not only has he provided for her in the past, but he continues to provide for her into eternity. Again, even this is such a challenge to us husbands. Does your wife thrive because of your love? Or in spite of your failure? Does your love empower your wife to submit as she is called and to be faithful in the things that the Lord has called her to? Jesus' love for his church makes her glorious. How does your love affect your wife? And then finally, Jesus is perfecting love. The end of verse 27. And he might present her to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. Why is she glorious? Because she is now what he declared her to be. He has done what he has promised. He has fulfilled all that he has said. She is sanctified. She is cleansed. And she is his On that day, the church will be what he declared her to be. What a powerful picture of love. How challenging for us men that our love for our wives is compared to Christ's love for the church. How can we ever measure up? The reality is that the goal of your love must be the good of your wife. Commitment to pursue her good at all costs. Husbands, love your wives. Paul does not have a Hallmark movie feeling in mind here. He has a spirit empowered, sacrificial, empowering commitment in mind here. Your love for your wife is not a testimony to her worthiness. It's a testimony to your faithfulness. Does your headship pursue her best, support her needs, empower her for the roles and responsibilities that God has called her to? Or are you too focused on your own wants and desires to recognize her needs? Brothers, wake up this morning to the high calling of sacrificial love, to the great responsibility of loving your wife. I imagine for many of us, you look at a passage like this and it kind of rocks you and you're thinking, man, I set my expectations way too low. Well, this morning, see the need for change. Take serious the responsibility to love your wife. It's not a simple call. Love your wife. You're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. This is not an insignificant responsibility that ebbs and flows with your feelings. Be committed to her good. Yes, it is true. Your wife is called to submit. We saw that two weeks ago. It's a radical call to submission in all things. yet the reality is that her submission is with the expectation that your love is for her good. She submits to you. Placing everything on your responsibility with the expectation that you will love her for her good. I think every single one of us this morning recognizes that we fail in this often. We live in a sinful world with a sin nature and we recognize that What hope is there for me to live up to this call? Brothers, your hope is not in your ability to do better. Your hope is not in your own strength. Your hope is as you willingly submit to the Lord to be filled with the Spirit who will work in you. That is significant. Do not overlook the fact that this is still in the context of being filled with the Spirit. This is a return to what God intended with God's power. So my question to you men this morning is do you see the importance of this call? The great responsibility of love. then commit to be faithful. It starts with being faithful to the Lord so that you can be faithful to your wife. It starts with being faithful to the Lord so that you can be filled with the Spirit so that you can love your life, your wife well. So husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. We're going to close with a song And uh, I'm sorry, piano players, I changed this. Uh, But we're going to close with the song, Oh, the deep, deep love, as we sang earlier. The deep, deep love of Jesus.